Welcome into a mega week here on Friends from Work, a podcast about all things in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and it's a podcast that's hosted by me, Kyle Sconowell, and my friend Robbie Earl, who is coming at you live from his brand new Earl Sanctum Sanctorum. Robbie, congratulations on purchasing a new freaking house. Hey, wow, thank you. I'm uh wow. I'm living currently in this white void populated by a single plant. But with time, <laughs> it's it will grow. <laughs> hey, it's a work in progress. It's a uh, blank yeah. canvas. We'll be tweaking it as exactly. we go along. Exactly. It's quite literally so, uh, a blank canvas. <laughs> Just by a tally here, in the last couple months, you have had surgery on both ribs with downtime that is included with that. You mm-hmm. are going to trial soon, so your work has been as crazy as ever for pre-trial prep. <laughs> and now you have bought and moved into a new house all while we're trying to record Secret Invasion and all of the other summer blockbusters. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just generally a super reasonable, sustainable way of living. Makes a lot of sense. <laughs> But what here's the biggest thing that you that you didn't mention in the tally on top of all of that, or maybe at the core of all of it, uh, in that time period, I also had the Craven the Hunter trailer happen to me. Happen to you. And that's something and? that I think I mean this this trial has taken a lot and it has taken a lot of of time and sleep and energy, but I don't know that anything has, I don't think anything has stuck with me, uh, or, or will be as imprinted in my memory as certain moments, uh, from the trailer of Sony's newest live action Spider-Verse-esque offering. So did you You see it? You just need a little lion's blood. Yeah. You just need a little lion's blood in you and you'd be just golden right now. (laughs) Okay, Secret Invasion Episode 2 was absolutely massive. We've been waiting to talk about this one for a long time. Holy crap, I enjoyed it. A Let's freaking go. 90% of this episode is going to be our reaction to that Secret Invasion trailer. However, before we get started, I need to quickly tell you about quite a few things that I watched, all of which deserve their own episode, but I don't have time. No time! So... I'm going to briefly just glance over a few of these things. You can give me a short reaction, then we'll get into Secret Invasion. But I was in Hartford, Connecticut for golf work this last week. Shout out to our New England listeners. I got some New Haven-style pizza. I've had Frank Pepe's in the past. Gosh, I love it, the pizza up there. So shout out to all all of our Hartford listeners. But, Robbie, whenever things are going well for my golf work, just to paint a picture of how much time I have, all of these things I watched all while in the confines of work. Not after work, not the hotel. This was all while working. So get ready. Yeah, for I your, like that. Get your mind right. Well, we normally focus on the friends part of friends from work, but I appreciate this. You're really doing your your due diligence to make sure that the, the work from piece work of part. that gets it set. <laughs> That's right. Okay, here we go. Some of this is so much fun. I had a blast watching film and TV this week. First of all, I need to say I have finally wrapped my rewatch of the entire MCU all the way through phase four with Multiverse of Madness. 
a couple of nights ago. And I absolutely refuse to rank Multiverse of Madness. I quit. I cannot do it. I have tried forever. I have no idea if the movie's good or if it's bad. I can't tell. Is it good? Is it bad? Mm. I don't know. At one point, I had it at 26th. And then another point, I had it at 13th. I just wow. can't decide if it's good or bad. I will not rank that movie from now on. It's just, it is what it is. It's such a unique thing. I'm out. Sounds to me like you're you're coming over to my side. What, your side is more like highly ranked. I had a 26 that one. Well, no, no, no. I mean side. my side of just uh, eschewing rankings in general. Oh, oh, I gotcha. Just skirting the rankings. Okay. First of all, I watched the entire golf documentary called Full Swing on Netflix. Have you heard about this or Drive to Survive? I have have not. Okay. Well, it's just Netflix's big new thing is following these individual players at different sports. And Drive to Survive was following some F1 drivers, and it really blew up racing. Oh, oh, yes. Okay, yeah. It was huge. Yes, I know. And they did a golf one. Okay. Called Full Swing which I thought was like an eight out of 10. Some of the episodes really hit uh, emotional. A few of them were kind of filler and didn't work as well, but it gets me so pumped for their next chapter in that series, which is quarterback featuring my friend, Kirk Cousins and featuring your boy. Potentially I may need to get my actors guild. That's right. I might be in this next documentary. (laughs) So let's go. I didn't realize that those were all part of a series. It's not like the same. It's not the same series, but they're all Netflix produced sports documentaries following the behind the scenes of individual athletes. I don't know if they're going to eventually put them in like a package, but it's different Mm -hmm. producers. Like the, the quarterback one is produced by NFL films. Um, anyways, that was like an eight out of 10. I really enjoyed it. I watched bullet train. Have you seen bullet train? (laughs) Okay, I'm so excited to hear what you thought about Bullet Train because this has been a source of so contention within my, my friend group here. Okay. Whoa, I don't have a hot take, I guess. I don't know which side you're about to be on. I thought it was obviously extremely gratuitous. It's totally shock humor and shock violence. That's the whole point of it, which is mm-hmm. not my scene. Anyone who listens to this podcast knows that. However, I mean, I was intrigued at the actual storyline and towards about two thirds of the way through, I laughed out loud a couple of times. Brad Pitt's character made me chuckle a few times. So like eventually some of the crazy humor worked. So I thought it was like a six out of 10. What would you say? I think that's fair. Uh, I thought Brad Pitt just did a, he did a great job kind of holding that together. I mean, it's such a goofy performance from him too, but he's so... It's like my thing often is if I am bought in enough to a particular performance, I can kind of like that that can anchor me through all sorts of other ridiculous things, whether we're talking about plot elements or effects or whatever. And so I think that that is why I love that or not love that movie, but had a lot of fun with that movie. I had a lot of friends that thought it was absolute garbage and hated it. (laughs) But Candace and I both had a lot of fun watching it. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe this is my multiverse of madness. I think I'm genuinely 
in between both of those. Like, I don't think I loved it or had a ton of fun, and I don't think I hated it for sure. Um, Fair. Although Aaron Taylor Johnson, again, it all comes back to Craven. Good point. Excellent point. So if that wasn't already enough, you know, all of those episodes of Full Swing, all of Bullet Train, I watched Avatar Way of Water, finally. And, uh, wow, you are just wrong. It's not a great film at all. It's not, but it is not the movie you make fun of. You are unfair. You are Thanos. Perhaps you treated it too harshly. It's a 7 out of 10. It's, it's, It's good. It's fine. But you hate it. So, yeah. 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 Look, you know, (laughs) people, if, if people get to hate every single thing that came out in phase four, (laughs) despite my, my (laughs) protests, the contrary, this is where I take my stand. (laughs) The one thing I can never get over is something you pointed out to me. I just, the call to have Sigourney Weaver voice her own daughter just bothers me to my core. I am so not emotionally connected to that character just because as she opens her mouth, I'm like, is this a 70 year old? What is happening? <laughs> so bad. I also spider tell me, t- tell me why spider was a good <laughs> character story choice. <laughs> Spider's tough. Spider's tough to get past. <laughs> no doubt. It's, it's there are a few there are a few roadblocks you know that make that movie very difficult. Okay, and then the last thing that I want to talk about, oh my gosh, total shift of gears here. I've watched all nine episodes of Silo. Oh my gosh, oh. it's this year's Severance. Oh my gosh! Wow. So I am now rewatching it, um, with my wife and my brother and sister in law. It is spectacular. Now, I got to say, I think there are a few acting things that Severance didn't have. And Mm. there are a few, like, filler-type episodes where it feels like occasionally we're wandering. It's like occasionally they remind you, like, okay, this is a, a TV show that we don't know how to fill all the time. Whereas Severance, to me, was perfect. So if Severance was, Mm -hmm. like, a 9.7 or, like, a 9.9, this is like an 8.7 where it's not perfect. It's not flawless, but oh my gosh, watch the first two episodes. And if you're into this kind of sci-fi thriller thing, you'll be captivated. I loved it. The only other wow, thing that okay. I just can't get past is like, I'm loving it. Audiences are loving it. It's going to be a massive show this year. I think uh, Dan Gavazdan hated it and that bothers the crap <laughs> out of me. And we got into like a, a Twitter match a little bit about oh, it. Oh, really? Uh, b- which he's, he responded to one of our tweets and uh, just, I couldn't, I was shaken to my core by what he said. I'm like, how could you possibly think that? So I highly recommend it. The world highly recommends it. Dan does not recommend it. Wow. You know, I do, I feel like Dan is so often lone wolfing it with that stuff, but I really love, I love that because I feel like generally whatever, the take is I don't love it but <laughs> communally I don't think that the, the the reason I like it is it's not Dan being contrarian I, I don't think that that's his game that's true. Or, or his vibe 
I like that he is just, he has a different way of thinking about this stuff. And he makes me, there, there are points he's raised in all kinds of movies. And often I think on it and I find that I still disagree, but it's still, it's, I'm always glad that I thought through it because it changes the way that I look at the movie a little bit, normally for the better. Look, he was totally right on his across the Spider-Verse critiques. And I, I love that. And I think you're right in general. However, he responded to my tweet with saying he couldn't get through the first two episodes because they were beyond lame. And it has an 88% on Rotten Tomatoes. And I said, to, I showed that to my wife, the first two episodes. And I said, okay, could you ever say that's beyond lame? Come on. That's like, that's so extreme. You're trying to get a rise out of it. So anyway, okay. I really love Silo. Beyond lame. Watch it win awards, and it's going to be beyond lame. Um, okay. What an absolutely massive episode of Secret Invasion, episode two. And episode two of Secret Invasion is brought to you by our friends at Nerd Riot. Go to nerdriot.shop to get shirts like this one, my baby Groot Nirvana t-shirt. Why do I point this out today? Well, one, because Guardians is awesome, and they did awesome Guardians-themed merch. But... I kid you not, I get more compliments on this shirt than any shirt I have in my entire catalog. Three wow. different times this last week, last two weeks, I'm out at a restaurant and some waitress walks up and goes, hey, I love your shirt. That rarely happens to me, but I've had like five compliments on this Groot shirt. So nerdriot.shop, go there, wow. get some good merch. And if you're into any of these things I mentioned, they probably have merch on it nerdriot.shop use our promo code friends from work to save money and let them know that we sent you and you can use the referral link in these show notes below yes and if you do make a purchase at nerd riot using our code friends from work you will also get a free month of friends from work plus including all of the screensaver plus content that we've been talking about on everything from the Snyderverse to uh, Indiana Jones. And soon, Mission Impossible, Oppenheimer, and even a little uh, little prep for Barbie for those that are that are oh, interested in what's going on there. So if you if you true. are curious about what we've had going on and when we talk about all the crazy summer blockbuster stuff and you're also wanting to get the shirt that Kyle's wearing then you can you can have a real two birds one stone moment here and go to nerd riot and make a purchase using code friends from work we talked about friends from work plus last week which Robbie is referring to we call this a mega week because over on friends from work plus we put out an Indiana Jones episode about the entire quadrology quadrology <laughs> of Indiana Jones before the new film comes out. Then we're talking Secret Invasion episode two today. And then Dial of Destiny, our episode on that will come out this week as well. So a massive week on Friends from Work. And it's a good time to check out Friends from Work Plus using that free month from nerdriot.shop. Okay, Robbie, Secret Invasion episode two for me was a let's freaking go. Wow. Man, I've been telling people if you liked the first one, just kind of wait because I feel like the second one really picks up in all ways. Like the pacing feels mm -hmm. a little bit better. It looks even cooler. And I feel like some of the stuff from the first episode makes even more sense with the second episode. So 
I think what I want to do today is we got to talk about the two kind of bombshells, in my opinion, late mm-hmm. in this episode. Then we can just go through the whole thing linearly. But oh my gosh, Nick Fury is married. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Which is such a fun I mean, Winter Soldier callback. Oh, what? <laughs> I'm going to ask some dumb questions. Does he, does he know she's a scroll? Is he married to a scroll on purpose, intentionally? When did he get married? Or, or is she hiding that from him that she even is a scroll the whole time? Oh, I think that's I impossible, think, right? No, I think he knows because it's the same, which, you know, this always gets confusing with scroll stuff, but I think it's the same scroll woman that introduced him to Gravik in that flashback scene. When they're when he's kind of and she just puts on a human performance just for him. (laughs) Yeah, it is a little bit weird that. I mean, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. That part is. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's the same person, but he doesn't know. But I feel like he would have to know. That would be such a weird. Yeah. And, so it, and it's not delivered to us as though it's like a, a threatening thing, right? Like, I feel like it's supposed to be a sweet right. thing. Like, I, because I, I right. guess if anything, if it were a secret, I almost think that they would have revealed her to us as a human. And then later in the series, we would have seen that she's actually a scroll. So it could have been like a twist. But I feel like by right. showing us that she's a scroll now, it makes me think that they're kind of that is the twist that he's married. I don't know if there's like a a double twist within, but I could be wrong. This is a t- very twisty show from what the creators have been saying. It gives a entirely new meaning to Secret Invasion. Uh, um, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, wow. I think he would know because Fury knows everything, so he's got to know. Uh, the second thing that just caught my attention, I'm watching this screener actually, and we're about two thirds of the way through and we get to the scene where Gaia is logging into the computer and she's trying to find out what Gravik is doing on that computer. And she pulls open a file where on that file, I paused my television the first time and all of a sudden it hit me. Oh my gosh. Okay. In the trailer of Secret Invasion, we saw for a quick second, Gravik looked like he had a flurkin arm, like he's attacking somebody mm-hmm. and he throws out this, you know, wiry arm. And people online have been discussing that it was a flurkin, or recently people have been like, it looks like the Venom stuff from Spider-Man 2, the video game, which not that it is that, but that's kind of what it <laughs> right, looked like. Right. I never once heard somebody throw out the idea that it looks like Groot's arm, which it totally does. And in that exact moment, it hit me. Okay, she opens up the computer. On the computer, it says that they have discovered DNA from Groot, Frost Beast, Call Obsidian, and Extremis. And I had to pause that because that's Mm -hmm. what's happening. Gravik is trying to make a machine that makes them stronger, as we heard, but it's going to make them stronger, not just in physical, you know, serum type stuff, super soldier serum. It's mm-hmm. going to actually give him other powers like Groot's arm. 
are we also going to eventually see Gravik get the ability to heal his limbs like Extremis does? Oh my gosh, that was kind of a crazy reveal. Yeah. That well, and it was I had to pause on that too, and I still didn't think about it like you are. But yeah, that's I'm really curious to see how that is integrated and whether we see all of those different elements work in or if it's uh, kind of blink and you miss it sort of a thing. But I loved that. That was one of my favorite that that to me was kind of similar to the to the midlife crisis Avengers line in the first episode in terms of the the just self-referential MCU-ness of it all, uh, which maybe some people right. find gratuitous, but I always really enjoy. Well, you know, this whole episode was kind of focused on this machine and the scientists and who's trying to build the machine. And we found out it is a self-improvement machine. And then we have seen that trailer shot with Groot's arm. So I don't think that's a stretch. I, the call obsidian one, for those who don't know, that's kind of the big guy. One of uh, Thanos's minions from his, what's it called? His dark order. What's the exact term? The, uh, uh, the black Thanos order. Is for, the black order. A lot of people probably know Ebony Maw. So it's not him, obviously. And it's not Proxima Midnight, the girl who gets tossed up and gets splattered by the ships in Infinity War. <laughs> it's the big guy with the axe. So could Gravik be trying to replicate his strength? We know what Extremis does, like I said, so some kind mm -hmm. of regenerative power thing. What do you think the Frost Beast even is? Like, what? Where? Where was there a Frost Beast in the MCU, and why am I blanking on that? And what power my, would that give him theoretically? My guess is that that would be the thing from Jotunheim that Thor throws his hammer through, and that then shows up again in Thor: The Dark World, having gotten through the the convergence. Wow, look at that. That such a seamless Thor oh, the Dark World reference. Wow. Wow. That gets me so excited that you worked that in perfectly. Holy cow. <laughs> um, That's my I only guess, guess that would also just be like cruelty or strength or uh, ability to withstand really cold weather in Russia, <laughs> maybe? I don't know. Yeah, fair. Really big teeth. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyways, I love that. You know, I think that this show. The show is definitely leaning way more serious and they're still grasping the intensity. And mm -hmm. in this, and this was kind of a dark episode. I mean, that car sequence at the end we'll talk about very dark and yeah. sad and they're never pulling you out with a joke, but when they still need to work in an Easter egg or they need to work in a joke, it always mm -hmm. works for me or a lot of the time it works for me. So like there's virtually no humor in this show thus far, except like when Rhodey says like, if Slovakia rolls her eyes at me one more time, I'm going to put on the suit and carpet bomb it. That was legitimately <laughs> funny and appropriate. Doesn't take you out of the story. And mm -hmm. then I just thought like the use of the Easter eggs like this, like not too over the top, the reference to Alexander Pierce just briefly. Yeah. Yeah, like that's yeah. the connectivity that they do so well without it being gratuitous, in my opinion. So I feel like this episode struck a perfect balance, which is kind of why it's a let's freaking go for me. I just in general, and you know, I I noted this at the top when we were talking about Fury's wife. And for those that have not seen these movies a million times, uh, that's a reference to when Steve Rogers comes into his apartment and finds Fury there playing the same song, incidentally, that uh, closes out Endgame. He 
has found out that Alexander Pierce, or he hasn't found out that it's Pierce, but he's found out that somebody has breached S.H.I.E.L.D. and uh, is showing Steve mm-hmm. kind of a message on his phone. But what he tells him is that his wife kicked him out. And Steve says, I didn't know you were married. And Fury says, well, there's a lot you don't know about me. And mm. I think at the time, it was either ambiguous or it was just like, oh, this is just a cover. This is what he's saying while he's showing the actual message via text. But I love that, one, that delivery, I think, always left open. Like, the, the fun thing about Fury from that era that I think we're starting to get again in maybe a slightly different way is this, like, you never you never knew where he was coming from or what he knew or how he did what he did. Like, there was always this, he's just a guy, right? Like, everybody else in the Marvel Universe, especially at that time, was somehow super and Fury was just the guy, but he always knew more than everybody else. And so I love that when that line was delivered, it was really unclear whether that was just a straight up lie or if maybe there was something to it. And I love that they, this is the kind of circle back that feels appropriate to me and earned and realistic. And I like that. I I think It'll be interesting to track as we go through Secret Invasion the similarities and differences between this and Captain Marvel in how much they they both kind of do the secret history of, of Nick Fury and S.H.I.E.L.D. thing. Because I think mm-hmm. that there were parts of Captain Marvel that I could never quite fully square with the version of Nick Fury that we got, especially in Phase 1. Just, just things, mm. not even, not even tonally as much, but just like, okay, the the idea of the Nick Fury that I see meet Iron Man, having done all this and having seen all this, is a little tricky uh, for me to to like, because clearly that wasn't the intention when the character is being written in those early films. And so it's always a question to me of how well they can graft that on without it feeling retconny. And so far, I feel like Secret Invasion mm-hmm. has handled that really effectively because I love, for instance, the reveal that scrolls have been acting as Fury's double agents oh. in this way for so long because it's like that's the kind of thing where I'm not like, oh, come on, really? It's actually, it sort of bolsters the impression that we got of Fury, which was somehow he always knew everything, could get into anywhere, had all this crazy access. And now it's, it makes sense why he specifically, more than any other person, had that capability because he was the only person that could work with a group of scrolls. What a perfect point and a perfect transition. Because when you're talking about Fury being married and the throwback to Winter Soldier, my first thought too is, you know, when did he probably get married then? Because there's a what? There's probably a... 
There's a 30-year gap-ish from when he met the scrolls. There's probably only a 10-year-ish gap from Winter Soldier to when we're seeing him now, somewhere in there. But he's known mm -hmm. about scrolls now for 30 years. You know, last episode, you asked some questions that we specifically got answered here. And that's why I love you pointing that out because you were asking yeah. a couple of major things like, well, how involved was he for 30 years? Well, we found out very. Like that was a twist mm -hmm. to find out that not only was he involved, he he actually hired them as a trade to work for him. That's way different. Mm -hmm. That he was going to help them, them help protect Earth, which is crazy, while he then promised to find them a new planet. So... That's an even bigger, you know, miss if he didn't find them a planet because they yeah. were doing work for him. But also, you asked, I think this is an important detail, the reveal of how many are there. He thought there mm. were like a few hundred. I think he says like five, 5,000 or 10,000, like something. And then he mm -hmm. says over a million. That's another answer to your first uh, yeah. episode question because if there's a hundred it's not a big deal, like the scroll Ross says in the first episode, like whatever, how can they pull this off? If there's a million of them. How can mm -hmm. they coexist? We talked about how can they coexist. And the whole time you're talking about like, remember Asgard and all the uh and the scrolls and all these people coexisting on Earth last week? Right, right. I was thinking about this, thinking like, well, there's already a million of them. That's enough to mm. form a massive, you know, a small country or a massive city. And uh Taylor says at the blink of a, an eye or whatever, they'll all like come out for me basically or something like that. So I just thought what a perfect transition back to the very beginning of this episode, because Holy crap, huh. th that was another massive reveal. The scrolls and all this. Yeah. Tell me if I'm wrong. Cause you've seen this episode more than me. They all like the, the vast majority of that million came to earth during the blip. Right. Was that your impression? Because my, what I took away was Fury was gone because he was blipped. And so that's why Talos said, you know, we thought, we thought you weren't coming back. And so they kind of improvised and decided to all just come to Earth. And then everybody came back and now they're in the situation that they're in. Is that what you gathered or is that incorrect? You're testing my memory. I think that's right. Yes. That there were a few since Captain Marvel in the 90s, but yes, the vast majority came back later, like a lot of years later. Unless, because I don't think that they would be referring to Fury going dark after Winter Soldier, right? That's, right. by the way, that's, nope. I'm not going to go down a, down a tangent on this, but maybe we will later. That's one of the things that I think... We, we talk about these moments in the Infinity Saga that sometimes I, I wish, for one reason or another, had been given a little bit more room to breathe. And one is Fury's decision at the end of Winter Soldier to go underground. Because, like, I get why they brought him back for Age of Ultron, and we've talked about that piece of it. But I feel like it muddles the, the perception of Fury post winter soldier like i don't really know mm. like because you you're left with the impression at the end of that movie that everybody thinks he's dead and therefore he's going to be able to kind of go and live as a ghost and then you know obviously the avengers know he's around during age of ultron 
uh, I guess, Rhodey does because he's there in the final battle. And then mm-hmm. after that, you know, in Far From Home, uh, and then obviously here we get references to, oh, you know, Fury's up there in space building the station or, you know, he's been off world. And I just wonder, like, I, part of me wishes that there was some moment of, oh, man, he's not dead after all. Like some kind of understanding that that, that ending in Winter Soldier had consequences beyond just S.H.I.E.L.D. going down. It's not a huge thing, but I, I feel like it would have made the, the line a little bit clearer. Now, what I do like that, again, this because what I'm complaining about really isn't the fault of Secret Invasion. I think it's more of just a, a casualty of the breakneck pace of the Infinity Saga towards the end. But what I love that Secret Invasion does in terms of that kind of secret history is it not only explains so far why Fury was able to do what he does, but it also, like, in contrast to parts of Captain Marvel again, where I felt like I didn't quite buy that it was the same character, here it makes, like, even that promise that he makes to the to the scrolls, it is it is kind of heartbreaking from their perspective, like knowing that they're refugees and knowing that it's ultimately a promise that he's going to end up, I think unintentionally breaking, but it also kind of fits with the version of fury that we knew from back in the day. Like he was pretty callous, like he's not a bad guy, but I think it's like you look at the Avengers, the first film and the conflict there when both Tony and Steve realize that he's trying to use the Tesseract to make weapons. And it's this, like, he has kind of been lying to them. Same thing in Winter Soldier, when Steve finds out that Mm -hmm. Natasha knew something that he didn't. And, you know, he's like, well, you only know what I need you to know. And it's like, you get the sense that Fury is... He's he's clearly okay with compartmentalizing, and I think mm. he is he is pragmatic, maybe to a fault when it comes to yeah. things like this. I feel like we've seen Fury soften. That is one thing I like about Age of Ultron, by the way, as like a counterpoint to myself, is I feel like you do see the beginnings of him softening some, in part because of the relationship he's building with Tony and the rest of the Avengers. But Mm -hmm. this was prior to that, you know, and so this was like, it fits really perfectly within his his chronology and and kind of what we've known about this character. And I just I want to highlight every moment that does that, because like we've said since the very beginning of this podcast, when we talked about uh, Rogue One in in the Star Wars world, it's like that's Mm -hmm. a really hard thing to do, I think, to go Mm -hmm. back and retroactively make something feel naturally consistent. And I think that for the most part, this show has been an excellent example of that. Yeah, it's perfect. He's not Spider-Man. We are now seeing he is willing to do almost anything for the greater good. If the first episode left you with a feeling of, come on, scrolls, like how could Fury have let you down that much? Like Gravik, how can you be this mad about it? I love that now this episode is turning that a little bit on its head and you're starting to see that gray area of like, okay, what you're talking about, that nature of Nick Fury has caused problems and understandable problems. So you're getting a little gray area. That's the way to go. That's the way to go with the show for sure. Yeah. We'll be right back after a quick word from these sponsors. 
I think one of the reasons that this show got compared to Andor a lot is in these dialogue heavy sequences. And I love that part of the show. So in the first episode, maybe at times the pacing felt a little bit slow, but for me here, especially in episode two, the dialogue lengthy scenes are my favorite scenes. So the first one that comes up in chronological yeah. order is the sequence inside the train. I love getting a throwback mm. to Fury telling a story like he used to do with Captain America, you know, a loaded 22. Yeah. Like that felt very similar to that, telling a story about his childhood, which I love any background into Fury. Mm -hmm. And I love that it's almost got, don't take this the wrong way, it's almost got a Joker-esque feel where you're like, is he even telling a true story or is he just trying to paint a picture? Which is amazing. Yeah. And so he's talking about his childhood and then that disagreement is heartbreaking. It's a massive reveal. As I said, that there's a million people on earth. Talos's side is understandable, mm -hmm. but then Fury realizing how bad he screwed up that now it's over a million people. Mm -hmm. And that argument of like, we can't even exist with ourselves. You think we can coexist with an alien race? Like, that uh, just like poignant, good I, commentary, awesome dialogue, great performances. I was so into that. Mm -hmm. Well, and such so, yeah, such a great kind of kind of perfect Samuel L. Jackson performance. Yes. The the name of the game is tell me something I don't know. Is just yeah. like the it's such a it's it's a it's great Samuel L. Jackson. It's great Nick Fury and. And it feels so that that scene was super well written, I thought, because the way that you get from point A to point B is not it's not predictable, but it's also not forced. And I love those. I think in general, I I, I really liked the the writing for for Fury a lot more in this episode. And maybe that's just because it's a more familiar version of him as mm. he's kind of getting back into it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I agree that the train car scene was a highlight for me. Also, the next two sequences are also tied to that in different ways. I'll start with this one, the Maria Hill funeral, which is interesting for a lot of reasons. But one of which is that, you know, a lot of people were talking, is there still hope that Maria was a scroll and, and maybe she just didn't turn right away because she had been a human for so long. And that's why we didn't see her turn into a scroll at the mm -hmm. end. And I still think this show allows for any of that to be possible. Like it is possible that somehow that was not the version of Maria Hill and she's going to make some reappearance somewhere. I think that's possible. Although I do think it might undermine the emotional core to that decision. But I think we mm -hmm. took a step further now to saying, no, this was the real Maria Hill by just going through with the whole funeral. Right? Yeah, I think so. Although we talked about this a little bit last week with some of the, the comics inspiration for this. And I do just want to flag. I don't think that this is what's going on with Hill, but to do my due diligence, one component of Secret Invasion, and if you can't tell just from what I've told you about this so far, there's kind of a lot going on in this eight-issue miniseries. There's the build to it that I've talked about, but there are also a lot of kind of intersecting points. And... I'm I'm curious to see how much they they pull from again, but there is an element there of characters that have been thought dead, some even prior to the Secret Invasion event, showing up at the very end, having been abducted by scrolls, 
long ago and still actually being alive and then them getting reintroduced back in and that again even that is kind of a simplification because there are some Hmm. confusing parts of how they executed that but i do wonder if we're gonna i don't think that that'll be the case with hill but i'm sure folks that have read the secret invasion event in the comics probably have that in the back of their minds it's possible did the funeral sequence help your concerns with the way they handled Maria's death in the first episode at all? Like, did it a little bit add to the emotional weight or not? Yeah. No, it it definitely did. That combined with the the roadie conversation, which I assume we'll talk about in a second. So That was my next scene when I said the two sequences, yes. So, well, then, yeah, maybe we can talk about it. But, yeah, I feel like it all added weight to just what happened in general, like not just Maria's death, but also the consequences of Nick having kind of lost a step and getting fooled and how it's not just all these people, including Maria died. It's now an international incident that the squirrels are going to try to use to make into a a global incident essentially. And so, yeah, I, the, I need to I need to go back and and rewatch these two. I, I think together, yeah, uh, like I did. My concern, my concern had been not the not the way that it was handled on the page, in terms of the the story there, or even the the writing of it. It was just the pacing at the very end, the the chaos of that moment. I. Th- thought was a little bit jarring with the significance of that character's death. Whereas like, I just, I needed it to breathe a tad more, but I wonder if now that I've got greater context, that's a concern that, that fades some. Cause yeah, I mean, I I would like to rewatch that in light of what we now know in this episode. Mm. Well, then you transition perfectly into my last sequence, which is I again, love the dialogue heavy scene between him and Rhodey. First of all, a couple details. I loved where they yeah. actually filmed the scene in that tavern. I loved the lighting. It looked very different than we had mm-hmm. seen. I loved the like noir fit feel of the light coming through those windows. Um, I loved what they actually got into and how it went down. Like I understand my my wife was mad at Rhodey for such a disagreement. However, I see his side that it's getting out of control. Yeah. I, I loved, I loved, even though it's so, you know, it's so cheesy, but I love the, I'm Nick Fury. Even when I'm out, I'm in. Like I literally said, I'm in before, yeah. before he did. But I love that, like callback, but also like badass Nick Fury. And I liked Rhodey standing his ground. Mm-hmm. And we were seeing a Rhodey that's now advanced. Like we talked about in our friendly reminder, which go watch that on YouTube to catch up. But Mm-hmm. All this tying together, you know, there's still a tiny chance that that was a scroll roadie, and that's why he wants him to stand down, right? There's still that chance. Like, he was a little over-aggressive for the last yeah. time we saw roadie, so it's possible. That's what the show's going to uh, be about, like, constantly See, asking for... the question. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, yeah, I love that. I, so I, I guess as we talk about that, we have to leave that possibility open. Treating it as Rhodey, you know, taking right. it at face value. Yeah, I really, I loved that for so many reasons because 
on the one hand, it feels like it goes all the way back to the way Rhodey was introduced in the first Iron Man film when it wasn't even Don Cheadle with just this kind of guy that that understands duty and public service in such a contrast to Tony, who's such a loner and kind of does what he wants when he wants. And then to see that character grow, become essentially part of the Avengers, and then all the way through to, to Endgame, becoming one of the, the Avengers that actually saves everything. And to go through that, and then to have the last time we saw that character be in Falcon Winter Soldier, mm-hmm. when I feel like he's giving a really similar vibe and occupying a similar space, it just is the, like that conversation, yes, it could wind up being a, a manipulation, but if it's not, it feels like, and maybe this is the genius of it, Either way, it feels like a really consistent portrait of who that character is. And I love that because I I feel like there are so many stereotypical like military guy characters in movies and shows like this that are just kind of like shoot first, ask questions later. Like there's not a like, lot like of, Avatar. Of, <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, thank you. Exactly. Uh like there's not a ton below the surface. And and I really like that not only has has Rhodey and in part due to Don Cheadle really carved out a very specific take on that and and like a, an interesting conversation to be had about like the the relationship between that like duty to duty to friends, duty to country, and then where, like, as Falcon Winter Soldier really examined, like, where race fits into all that. So then to have that conversation with Fury, to talk about Pierce as the mediocre white man, it, it's right. just... And in the same way that Rhodey was a great foil to, to Tony in the very first film here i think he's a great foil to to fury because it's like yes we saw in infinity war roadie you know go against orders from ross and work with steve but he still signed the accords and he's still the kind of person that would sign the accords like he has the sense that accountability matters mm-hmm. and that's something that fury has always wrestled with and has never really been one to be held accountable. And you can see that he's he's frustrated that not only is he being held accountable at all, but he's being held accountable by someone that he is and should be senior to. And it's just a it's a great, great dynamic. I also just love the reference to the suit because we found out that he still has access to the suit. But he's at least trying not mm-hmm. to use it very often, apparently. Yeah. Well, um, and I, I do wonder if this will flow into Armor Wars, which we know is going to be a Don Sheetle-focused right. project right. with the you know with him wearing the suit, which I don't know if we'll ever actually see in this in this show. Right. All right. Three more major chunks as we kind of wrap up briefly here. Three other main points from mm-hmm. the other side of this episode is the Gravik and Gaia side, which kind of leads me to think, in general, the acting's been really good across the board. Like, even watching Silo, like, there are a couple performances that occasionally pull me out. 
And that happens a lot in shows. Mm-hmm. And I just don't have that here. And I often don't have that in a lot of Marvel projects, which I've talked about in the past. But I mm-hmm. think you got a few more answers to another couple questions you asked in the first episode, which is what is Gravik's ultimate plan? Well, in that council scene, we see his plan, right? Like he is trying mm-hmm. to speed up the process of humans destroying themselves. We didn't necessarily hear about like the re- radiation part of it, but that, you know, he would like uh, an earth to himself. Also shout out to shooter McGavin making an appearance in this show. What yes. the heck? Shooter. <laughs> shooter. I was waiting for him to tell Gravik to meet him on the ninth green at 8 PM or whatever. <laughs> Wear your nicest suit, Gravik. <laughs> Um, which is a wild reveal, <laughs> but no, I thought in general Gravik and the council scene gave us a little more background to what's kind of going on to also how deep the infiltration has already gone because the mm-hmm. prime minister of great Britain is a scroll. So I think yeah. it's adding to the tension because we see that this is going to, you know, this is going to be not just a quick fix. I like the con- the council scene where they all stood up and the one person did not I thought that was a, a really moving part where she was like, I feel like you've forgotten how we got here. And then Gravik lets her Mm -hmm. go, like seemingly not going to kill her for saying that. Yeah. Well, I I like that, that he, again, we're starting to kind of see at least the potential for a character. We've already seen that he kind of is, is wounded by what he views as a broken promise from Fury. But that's, at this point, kind of a, a more expected take on a villain, you know, like th- that they're going to be operating out of some past hurt. But what I like here is that we're also seeing that he's just someone that that respects strength and uh, some level of, of fortitude and backbone. And so I like that when there are other villains that we've got in the MCU that if someone were to stand up, like that, the moment would be, okay, well, you know, I'll just kill you. And I like that we're seeing that he's, again, a different kind of character that is, it seems kind of internally consistent, like in the same way that he has no respect for Talos because he views him as weak. He has, he does have respect for this council member who mm-hmm. is kind of willing to stand up against him and the rest of the council. Right. And then the Gaia-ness of this all which is that we're seeing her slowly starting to change sides, kind of. You know, she's starting to question Gravik's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, she, he, you know, they don't let her into the council meeting, which she's offended by. She's thinking around on the computer. I think we're starting to see that transition. But I think that that made that very last scene in the car so heartbreaking to me. Like, that was a disturbing scene where the guy who had been tortured yeah. is just asking if they got home And with like the execution of that, where like pun intended, the execution of that, where he just hands a gun, doesn't even tell the other guy what he's doing and the way they shot it, where it's just Gaia's face, as you can hear the gunshot in Mm -hmm. the distance. And she's like starting to really be like, this is messed up, dude, but she can't say anything yet because she knows she'll die. I thought that was really disturbing, which leads me into my last point, which is, oh my gosh, underrated action here with the meat pack meat packing plant breakout and the Olivia Coleman torture stuff and the graphic the Olivia Coleman torture stuff was that was I think my favorite performance of the whole show so far 
So That's what I good. kept saying. Remember, I kept saying, just wait for Olivia Coleman. Just wait. That was my original tweet yeah. when I saw these first two episodes. Olivia Coleman is a standout. Also, just again, so many rapid fire points. The graphic nature of it was something we haven't really seen. We've 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 always seen the camera pan away. We've never seen the camera stick on mm-hmm. them cutting off the finger, for example. And the blood yeah. coming out of people's head when they're getting shot in the meatpacking plant, which a la Daredevil, by the way. Um Oh, true. But yeah. then, like, how badass she is with the escape plan ahead of time, the darkness of mm-hmm. the guy being tortured, the darkness of Gaia being uncomfortable with the torture. Like, the whole sequence was like, whoa, what am I What am I seeing right now? Oh, I like, I'm just, I'm getting so excited now because of how much I'm enjoying Samuel L. Jackson's Fury. The more, either, it's probably more me settling in than, than it is him settling in but i i'm enjoying that more as we go and i'm really excited for more scenes with him and olivia coleman because that was a highlight of the first episode for me and the differences between both of them being willing to do whatever to stop this versus talos being really unsettled by killing really anybody in this. And is that disagreement brewing? You know, do we ever end up getting a Nick Fury and Olivia Coleman kind of on the same side with Talos and Gaia, maybe on the other side kind of thing. Crazy. Do I guess my kind of my final question, what kind of mindset do you think Talos is in right now? Cause I, I think towards the end of this one, we get that, that call that he has with the council member and he's, basically saying that he's kind of back, you know, and he's not to be messed with. It seems to me that maybe he's underestimating Gravik and and that we're heading towards some bad situation for Talos. I'm not Ah. saying I think he's going to die necessarily, but is that the sense that you get? Or do you think that actually maybe we're underestimating Talos and he's got kind of a, a trick up his sleeve? No, I think he's underestimating Gravik. I think that's fair because he keeps thinking like, oh, we can just kind of fix this real quick. Like, don't don't hurt anybody. I'll just let me talk to him. Let me talk to Gaia. It's going to all work. That being mm-hmm. said, I wonder if what Fury said is breaking him a little bit emotionally. Like, are we because we're, we're, we're clearly seeing a more hardened version of Talos as we're going along, right? Like, I, I do wonder. I don't know. I wonder if that's rubbing off on him and it's going to make him more angry and that's going to change the way he handles the situation in the first place. So maybe he's got a trick up his sleeve, but no, I think he's underestimating it. Yeah. There are also a few questions on that front and on Gaia's front, like Gaia's on the phone with somebody. And I, I wasn't a hundred percent sure who she was even talking to. Like there are still some mm. sneaking around elements to this that we don't know. That's the big question. Yeah, so I think, I think I'm left thinking. I am sneaking around. Shout out Christoph <laughs> Beck, friend of the pod. One of the best scores ever in the MCU. Um, mm-hmm. Overall, I, I loved it. I think there are so many questions. And again, this is a great time to find our discord link on our website and join, because I think there's about 250 people on our discord that are just constantly chiming in theories. It's like Reddit, right? Like there's, there's theories, Mm -hmm. there's good commentary, but it's a really, really safe space. Like really great people on there who are wanting to hear your thoughts. Robbie and I will hop on there occasionally and help chime in um, after these episodes, but it's a great space to kind of run wild with theories, which this 
show is obviously leading a lot towards. I mm-hmm. loved this. I thought the first episode was a let's go. I thought this was a let's freaking go. So if the first episode was a B, which I still really like, this was an A for me. And I am genuinely intrigued to see where this goes. My wife and I were left with a really weird feeling because of that murder sequence in front of Gaia at the mm-hmm. end. But I think there are a lot of ways they can take this. I- I'm intrigued about the machine. I'm intrigued about Gaia and Talos's role in this. Do they get a chance to reconnect? I'm intrigued to watch Fury kind of realize how bad it's gotten. I liked seeing the council and what that looks like and how deep the infiltration has gone. I like seeing someone from the council check out of it and say this is too much. Where are we heading on just the grander political scale? The new Skrullos thing, how is that going to resolve with those machines they have that keep people locked out? Um, are there more people Mm -hmm. like that that are under that same spell thing? Just a lot of questions for me, but overall, let's freaking go. I feel like the visual, the acting, the writing was very, very excellent here. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I'm, I'm, I think in a pretty similar spot last time I was somewhere in the B in the B to B plus range. And I think here I'm in the, the A minus to A range. So I think somewhere in the the realm of let's freaking go. I, I had a lot of, I had a lot of fun with this one. It's still way too early to tell, but gosh, I really just hope they land the plane. Like I hope that this series starts strong and stays strong throughout. Like I said, thank you so much for listening. This has been a joy. We have so much going on over on friends from work and screensaver. So Check out all the podcast episodes we've been putting out. And if you just watched Secret Invasion episode one, go back and listen to that episode. And then hope you enjoyed this one. Stay in touch with us. We are at the FFW podcast on all social media. And our website is the FFWpodcast.com. On those two places, you can find all of the links and info you need. And if you're wondering about sponsors or promo codes or any of that stuff, check the show notes below, timestamps, et cetera. Just a lot going on, and so we want to try to make your life as a listener as easy and smooth as possible. So many different ways to get things from us. So (laughs) thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to our podcast, and we'll see you next time right back here. Well, a lot of our things in between there, but we'll be talking Secret Invasion (laughs) Episode 3 a week from today. We'll see you. Thanks. Thanks.